Well, this is lesson number one, the ministry of helps, and we call this an introduction to helps because you wouldn't believe how many churches don't have anything to do with the ministry of helps. A lot of your mega churches, and, and I was raised in mega churches among different denominations, I didn't understand what a small church was until I got to college and then uh, realized that there aren't churches. Church, most churches aren't 500, 1,000, 2,000, 8,000. The church that I was on the deacon register for up until about four years ago was a 9,000-member church. And I finally had to tell them, listen, I don't go to your church anymore. I haven't been to your church in years, and I pastor my own church. Please take me off the deacon voting register, which means potential deacon candidates. And so they did, but that church is 9,000 people. The church I went to as a boy in Louisiana, the Baptist church, was probably about 1,000 people, Broadmoor Baptist Church in Baton Rouge. And then growing up at First Baptist Concord, that was probably two or 3,000 members in the 80s. And so uh, when you have a church that big, you've got the money that you need to, to, to hire people. But if you can hire people and fire people, then you don't have the ministry of helps. What you have are employees. And so that's not the kingdom. That makes you no different than a corporation that hires its groundskeeper, that hires its janitorial staff. What we want to do is fulfill the ministry of being a servant and what uh, Corinthians calls the ministry of helps. So with our lesson here, we'll jump into these curriculum. Every Christian is called to be a servant. You got to know that first and foremost. This is the first calling every Christian receives upon being born again. Let that sink into you. We're born again and then we're left here. If it was all about being born again, we'd be born again and then whoosh, we'd be gone. But we're born again and we're left here because there's a work to be done and we've got to serve to accomplish that work. Now that work is kingdom-based. We understand it's not saving the whales, it's not saving the rainforest, it's not recycling styrofoam. We understand our, our ministry is the kingdom of Jesus Christ. You have to clarify that in this day and age. You wouldn't believe how many evangelical churches are all about earth stewardship. And that's mostly a West Coast thing. You can see their West Coast culture influencing the church rather than the church influencing the West Coast culture. Don't worry about being a missionary abroad or being the next Reverend Billy Graham if you can't first be a servant in the local church. And that is so critical. When you study the ministry of helps, you'll find out all the great men of God who became the leaders, they first started serving somebody greater than them. And we'll see even in the next lesson that the Apostle Paul, we're often mistaught or misunderstanding or we just, we put the dots together wrong. You know, like connecting the dots as a kid, you know, you're supposed to do the numbers. And when you got a little smarter, you could almost see the picture through the dots and you skip the numbers and you maybe completely, you're drawing maybe a giraffe and you thought you had the body of, an, of a wildebeest or something and you totally forget about this whole neck that goes up with the head that comes down. Instead of being a wildebeest, it's a giraffe. We sometimes misconnect the dots and we think Paul got born again on the road to Damascus and started writing letters the next day. But when you study the book of Acts carefully, you find out that he was actually in the ministry of helps out of the church of Antioch for 14 years. And then when he came back from running an errand, he was separated for the future missionary work. We have to remember these kind of things don't worry about being whatever you think the big picture God's called you to be if you can't first be a servant in the local church. Let's look at some verses here. Mark 9, 35. If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. We know that this is an upside-down kingdom, and the only way up is down. And if you go down, you'll go up. 
We all, everybody wants to go up, which means they have to go to the back of the line. The first shall be last, the last shall be first. We, we in our cutthroat American culture, it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world, they say. And, and, you know, the way to the top is climbing on people's backs through the knives you stabbed in them and use those as footholds. That's not the kingdom. The kingdom prefers everybody before you. And when you prefer everybody before you, the Lord Jesus sees in private and rewards you openly. 1 Corinthians 9.19, For though I be free from all men, and truly we are free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all. Notice Paul said, I am free, but I make myself a servant. You and I have got to learn that the Lord's not going to make us a servant. He's going to call us to be a servant. He's going to teach us to be a servant. But if we don't make ourselves a servant, we're not going to be a servant. God is a gentleman. He can't force us to be a servant. In America, we have so much ego and so much pride and reputation and namesake and me, 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 me. The Lord just winks at that and says, bless their heart. They'll go nowhere and I'll help them. Go nowhere. He'll, I'll resist them. You have to make yourself, and we have whole lessons on that alone. The only person that can make you a servant is you. You have to have the desire to serve. And it takes the fruit of the Spirit working in your life, and it takes humility. It takes sacrifice. How can you serve if you don't show up? How can you serve if you don't make the sacrifice? That's why we started off by saying, don't think you're ever going to be a minister or a missionary or the Reverend Billy Graham if you can't first be faithful and serve in a local church. If you can't make the sacrifice for this local church, God will never give you your own. You know, you got folks that skip church a lot. They feel called, they feel called, they feel called. Will you, would you skip your church as much as you skip my church? Don't worry, you don't have to answer that because you'll never get your own church. That's how the kingdom works. Well, I, I'm always calling in sick from my boss, uh, but one day the Lord's going to give you my own company. You're going to call in that sick when you have your own company? You're going to make the sacrifice and show up sick because it's your company. So you do it for your boss too. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all that I might gain the more. Notice being a servant gains the more. Gains the more people, gains the more conversions, the more salvations, gains the more in the kingdom. That's a critical verse. Uh, every church ought to teach that verse a thousand times a year. We ought to teach it more. 1 Thessalonians 1, 8b and 9. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve as a slave, the living and true God. I want you to see there, whatever you are sacrificing God for has become your idol. You wouldn't believe how many Christians in this region skip church to go deer hunting or fishing or NFL in sat on Sunday at, at Nashville. You wouldn't believe how many Christians serve false idols and sacrifice God. That's not mature. Paul says to the Thessalonians, your reputation is spread everywhere. We don't have to talk about you. Everywhere we go, they're already talking about you. And the reputation is this. You turned from idols and you became a slave to serve God. We can't talk much about slavery in America because of our history and now with all the hyper-racial tension, but this is the terminology the Bible uses. We are slaves to serve Jesus Christ. He owns us. That's what it means when you've been bought with the price it means he owns you they tell how you turn to god from idols to serve the the living and true god a uh, 
couple years ago, I taught this at a, a local church. Uh, the pastor had me come in and teach these classes. And I got to, I think I hit on the third, the, third ver- uh, the third lesson we were teaching, which we'll cover this morning, I got to really harping on disunity. One of the greatest ways to be disunified is you just d- decide to skip. And I got to pounding, and I'm a big deer hunter. I got to pounding on people skipping church to go deer hunting. And I said, I curse your deer stand. I curse your gun. I curse you that you don't get any deer, that they see you, they smell you, that your stench, your rebellious, sinful stench can be smelled by the deer, and they run. And uh, I was like, man, I'm, what happened? The first two lessons were so huggy. I'm, just, I'm a visitor in this church. Well, I, I happened to have noticed in the third session, a man and wife came in late. He was deer hunting that morning. Thus says the Holy Ghost. So needless to say, he was under heavy conviction. His pastor had called a special service, and he said, I don't care about you, pastor, in my church. I got a God to serve called deer. Here in 21st century America, the Christian nation, we have white Christians that still serve demon idols. Anything you put before Jesus Christ will become a demon idol to you. A deer stand. As Jesus said, the Pharisees, let me sound like a Pharisee. There are six other days in the week thou canst hunt. Go and hunt on those days. But on the Sabbath, on the Lord's Day, put your butt in church and worship Jesus. Or I pray your gun jams on you. I really do. I mean it. And I got stronger faith. May you get that big 19-point buck in your sights. Click. What? Click, click. Yeah. Grow up. <laughs> Serve Jesus. Every Christian is called to be a servant, but you must make yourself a servant. I can't make you. All I can do as a pastor is teach and set the standard and make you hungry. But even Jesus wasn't successful in making servants. He could teach you how to be. He could set the example. But he had one of his apostles was just an underhanded money embezzler. He didn't catch the heart of being a servant. The local church gives us a place to pursue this calling. Now, let me reiterate this again. If you can't be a servant in a local church, the Lord will never give you your own ministry. You will never see promotion without being faithful in the local church. The kingdom is all about promotion. And the Lord Jesus Christ is able to promote anybody and everybody every season of their life. But you have to qualify. Just because you're called to do something great doesn't mean you'll ever get there. You've got to be a servant. So what is helps? Oh, let me, excuse me, let me, we missed a verse here. 1 Corinthians 12, 28. And God has set some in the church, first apostles. That's me, preacher. I'm, first, I'm an apostle. Really? Until you can pick up trash in the parking lot, you're nothing. Until you can clean the toilet, you're nothing. Yeah. First apostles, secondarily prophets. I'm a prophet. I prophesy. You don't, you don't, you don't prophesy. You prophesy sometimes. Thirdly, teachers. After that, miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversity of tongues. Notice right in between all this supernatural, apostolic, prophetic, teaching, miraculous, healing, tongues is helps and governments. This is so critical. This means that helps is just as supernatural as an apostle. This means helps is just as supernatural and just as ordained as miracles. Really, a miracle today is getting Christians to help. (laughs) We shared the other night, there's a maxim for the American church that 10% of the people do 90% of the work. And that's just not acceptable. 
Don't forget that even Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, had to have 12 men to help him that lived with him night and day three and a half years. And then he had 70 on top of that. The son of God had to have help for three and a half years of ministry. That's, that's not even a full college degree. You know, college degree is four years. He was three and a half years and had to have that much help to do the work of God. What is helps? Because God has set helps as an office in the church. And all these other things are offices here. These are supernatural endowments. Helps must by nature be a supernatural position. And I want you to see that. Don't look down your nose. Don't poo-poo upon the ministry of helps because it's not glamorous. Say, thank God I don't have to have the full burden of the apostle or the evangelist or the Reverend Billy Graham. And if that's what you want as a notoriety and namesake, your heart's not right with God anyway. We know that as a, quote, minister, the word minister just means servant. They talk about, they had uh, um, uh, John Mark as their minister, talking about Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary trip. What that meant in the Greek was that he was their step and fetch it. They had him as to their minister. That was their step and fetch it. He was the water boy. He was the dinner boy. He was the laundry boy. He was the, the set up the service boy. He was break down the service boy. And now wonder John Mark quit and went home. And for that reason, Paul said, I have no use for you. And if you study the Bible narrative of the New Testament, it was about 20, 25 years before Paul said, I can use John Mark again. John Mark, royally out of selfishness, blew up 25 years of getting to travel with Paul because he couldn't handle the ministry of helps. He couldn't be faithful. He couldn't make the sacrifice. Yeah. What is helps? Helps can be defined as a supernaturally endowed office to work in and advance the kingdom of God. That is what helps is. It's a supernatural office. If you are called, and this church raises up ministers, it's always had that gifting here. If you are truly called to the, the five-fold ministry, full-time ministry, you have to start to build up an endurance for supernatural endowments and supernatural giftings. You have to build up a work ethic. Because uh, I guarantee you this, nobody in this church works as much as I do. My wife will tell you, I go home and the laptop's out and I'm writing and I'm reading books and I'm studying and I'm taking phone calls. I do stuff here all day long and then I go home and continue to do stuff and my wife goes to bed and I stay up late. But you build up that kind of endurance in the ministry of helps, bearing somebody else's burden. The ministry of helps is every Christian's calling. Nobody's exempt from this calling. Every Christian is called to be in the ministry of helps. We are all called to help propel the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christianity is not a spectatorship. Now, we're, we're going to get to this here in the next lesson or two, but it may, it may be in this lesson. But what's crazy is the lowest office in the church of official title is deacon. And the word deacon or diakonos means he that does the will of another. And to even obtain that lowest office in a local church, you have to qualify. Now, I, I'm a Bible guy, but I'm pretty lenient around here because biblically, to be a minister, to be a diakonos in the local church, you have to qualify. And I'll teach it sometimes that you really have to qualify to pick up church in the local church, uh, pick up trash in the local church. Now, we don't make you do that because we just appreciate the trash being picked up. But if we were to be strict biblical, you would have to qualify to take the trash out of this church. 
you would have to qualify to scrub toilets because we don't want just anybody with an attitude scrubbing toilets around here. This is all God's house. This is all God's ministry. And unfortunately, some Christians just aren't faithful enough to earn the right to do a toilet brush because they skip church whenever it's convenient or inconvenient. How can I count on you to clean the toilets? You just kind of come and go as you want to, just serve the God of the flesh. How can I trust you to be here to sweep the parking lot when you said you wanted to serve? You'll find that servants don't control their own life. The master does. (laughs) Yeah. This is every Christian's calling. Christianity is not a spectatorship. And unfortunately, many Christians will never qualify to be a servant in the house of God. Do you know, in the Old Testament, you had a thing called a porter. That meant doorkeeper. You know what his job was to do? Open the doors to the temple. Close the doors to the temple. Open the doors to the temple. Close the doors to the temple. You had to qualify. Not just anybody could be a porter. The most famous porter in the Old Testament is Obed-Edom who learned how to take care of God by having the Ark of the Covenant in his house and it not kill him. I think he passed the test. Obed-Edom, a Gittite, which means he was from Gath. Gath is where Goliath is from. Obed-Edom, not a Jew. But because he knew the presence of God, David says, you can keep the doors. So this Gittite, who's not a Levite, gets to bypass all the Levites who were called... And he gets to open the door, close the door. He's a doorkeeper. That's all he did. And he was glad to do it because it kept the power of God on his life. Do you know, you have to do things that maintain the power of God on your life. Serving the flesh is not one of those things. Waking up late, I'm not going to make it to church today. That ain't going to happen. That ain't going to cut it. Yeah, you'll live and die and take the giftings of God to heaven with you. Here's the Greek word for the, the word helps there, antilipsis. It's a very complicated, long definition, but you will, will build the feeling of it. It means relief. There is an office of providing leaf, relief in the local church. Every person has this gifting and calling upon their life. You have a grace to relieve a burden that I don't. Some of you love kids. I love kids, just my own. <laughs> Some of you love everybody's kids like they're your own kid. And if God gave you the money, you'd adopt a hundred more kids. All right, I don't have that gift, but that helps. Some of you love to just pick up stuff and build stuff and, and that's great. That's not necessarily mine, but you have that gifting of relief. Everybody's got something different and the whole body comes together and the whole body is supplied by every joint and every need. But everybody's got this. And so you fall into the local church and you see what God's really put in you and it comes out of you. It means to secure. We don't know that that's kind of an old English term, but it's in the same, same vein, to relieve, to, to refresh. An exchange, I like that because this word antilipsis means there's an exchange going on. When you're serving, there's an exchange. You, you think about folks that when you go to work at your job, there's an exchange. You're providing a service, you're getting a, a paycheck. You're building a resume, but you're also missing time away from home. You're building a career, but you're also having to give a product. There's an exchange there, same in the kingdom. It's an aid. When you're in the ministry of helps, you're an aid. Who cares about Peace Corps aid workers? The kingdom of God needs aid workers. Amen. 
to participate. This is all the Greek lexicon. A partaker. One translation is rendering a loving service. And uh, the Reverend Buddy Bell, who probably has one of the most greatest understandings of the ministry of helps, he has written lots of books on it. He broke down helps as an acronym. Having enough loving people serving. I like how he adds loving. Uh, Nazis served. They weren't so loving. (laughs) You know, the Navy SEALs serve. What they do is not about love. It's love of country, hate of enemy. I had this funny meme I found. It's got this guy in this World War II flamethrower, just flamethrowing. He says, don't, don't mind me. I'm just watering my terrorists. <laughs> yeah, that's how the Navy SEALs love. They love to serve their nation, and they hate the enemy. Having enough loving people serving, that helps. And every church has to have this, otherwise it goes nowhere. This word means that you are relieving someone of a burden in the local church. Because we're not talking about helps for the world. If we're not careful, we'll get so bit, we'll get so caught up. We've been teaching on this in our services lately, but we will get so caught up with good works, not biblical good works, but just good communitarian activism that all we're really doing, as the late D, late, uh, D. James Kennedy said, is we're making heathen more comfortable on their way to hell. That's not biblical. Make the heathen miserable so that the goodness of God, or we should say Romans 1, the hope, excuse me, Romans 2, the hope of the goodness of God draws them to repentance. You know, if it's really cold outside, the warmth of God draws you inside. If it's really hot outside, the coldness of God draws you inside. We've often misinterpreted Romans chapter two. It says the goodness of God, not knowing that the goodness of God draws a man to repentance. We've often preached that God was being good to sinful people. God is not being good to sinful people. That's a contradiction of his character. But it's the hope or the promise that if I serve God and repent, he'll be good to me that draws people there. And so we gotta make sure we're very clear here. When we're in the ministry of helps, we are relieving someone of a burden. We're not relieving the world of a burden. We're preaching the gospel to the world, but in the local church, we're relieving the burden. We are supporting someone or supporting them. We are aiding them. We're participating with them and even partaking of and with them. This requires participation. You can't be promoted as a no-show. You can't be promoted not putting your hand to the plow. You can't be promoted sitting at home. You can't be promoted taking the easy route, and you never will be. You can't be promoted taking the easy route, and you never will be. Just like the military. Do they promote the lazy private? The one who can't clean his AR-15 or his M6, whatever it is? He can't spit, the guy that, like, really, you got three thumbs, two left feet? They don't promote that guy. They promote the guy that excels. Who do you think they learned that from? The army of God. What happens if you're in the military and you don't show up because you don't feel like it? Is that even an option? Not even an option. They discipline those boys. Amen. Certainly the local church is not to be a spectator sport, but a venue for participation. This is where we learn how God works. Helps is a ministry of lending relief and support. Helps is participating in the support of the ministry. Helps is how we as Christians can begin to fulfill the call of God in our life, the calling of a servant. 
for me as a pastor, I, I've, I've been in ministry now 20 years since I was actually 18, so 21 years. But it was Ministry of Helps for, uh, what is that, 13 years of that. I was a youth pastor for three years, but it was Ministry of Helps. And the thing is, now that I'm a full-time pastor, I'm still a servant. I still, people, people call Ginger and they make an appointment, I submit to the appointment. I cancel plans that I had. I look at the calendar. Now, occasionally I cancel if something's more critical. But I submit and serve. They have a burden. They want to meet with me. I answer the call of other pastors and mission trips and, and whatever needs to be done. Just because you're a pastor doesn't mean you don't serve anymore. You serve more than everybody else. You have to even be better at it because then you have to teach everybody else what it looks like. It's a different authority that you serve from, but you're still serving. Remember Jesus and Christ, Christ himself said, I've become servant of all. And that's what we have to be as well. Now, the last person you serve is your face and your flesh and your attitude. We're all good at serving the flesh. But when you grow up, you put your flesh under. Some Christians want to serve the flesh a little bit more bedtime, a little bit more snuggle time. Some Christians believe in pillow time when you ought to believe in prayer time and get your butt to church on time. It's good preaching this morning. <laughs> and we have a very strong ministry of helps here. If we're not careful, the flesh nature becomes our God. And we cannot permit that. The kingdom is built by those who make sacrifice. It's enjoyed by every lazy person. But the kingdom is built by those that make the sacrifice. And you guys are here because I think you want to make the sacrifice. Galatians 6, 2. Bear ye one another's burdens, weights, heaviness, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Notice that the being a servant is a law. And if you're not in the ministry of helps, you are breaking God's law. Now, coming back to the military, because we've got some former military folks in here, even on the military base, if you break the law, you go to jail. They have what are called MPs, military police. And they throw you in a thing. It makes it sound special, but it's still called the jail. It's the brig. Even on ships, they got a brig when you break military law. You break kingdom law, do you think they're going to promote somebody out of the brig? Are they going to promote some? No. You think God's going to promote a lazy Christian? No. Stop thinking you're going to be promoted without serving. But the deal is if you catch this heart, this will benefit you on your job. This will benefit you in your family. This will benefit you in the community. This will benefit the kingdom. But this will benefit you everywhere else too. What we're really facing though is this entitlement welfare culture that has flooded our nation. They say now 90-something million Americans out of work. Who's feeding them? Welfare. And they get addicted to it. And that attitude bleeds over into the church. And Christians think, well, I can do nothing and God will use me. Nope, not at all. Fulfill the law of Christ. Don't break the law of Christ by staying home. Fulfill the law of Christ. Make the sacrifice. Here's what helps is not. Helps is not being a volunteer. I'm very strict on this. In fact, I shared this in Iceland and they love it. And Pastor Fitzgerald's still talking about it. Helps is not being a volunteer. Helps is ministry servanthood. Now, I make the distinction because we are the volunteer state and because in this postmodern culture, 
We, everybody volunteers, you know, volunteer to build the playground, volunteer for the Red Cross, volunteer for the Salvation Army, volunteer for the soup kitchen. But a volunteer at any moment can wad up their towel and go home and quit. Do you think that's the heart of God? No, so a servant is different. You don't get to quit. You, you're stuck till the job is done. That's why I make this big distinction between volunteer. We don't call it ministry of volunteers, ministry of helps. You're a servant. Helps is ministry servanthood. Now, why? Servants serve at the master's behest. Volunteers quit at any time. Servants look forward rewards in heaven. Volunteers look to be paid in accolades, praise, thanks, and attaboys. It's all about a heart condition. Servants seek what's best for the church. Volunteers seek what's best for them. See, if it's best for the church, you'll stay and do it better. Servants live for the kingdom. Volunteers flirt with the kingdom. We, the, 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 the body of Christ in the modern church age has a lot of church flirts. They may make three Sundays a month. That's a church flirt. They don't qualify to take out the trash because they just flirt with church. God is not looking. There's a book called Stop Dating the Church. <laughs> I haven't read it. It came recommended to me by one of my overseas friends. They said, you need to read this, Stop Dating the Church. Now, that's a good sermon. What do you think the Lord Jesus is looking for, dating or, or commitment? He wants commitment. Helps is, you, is not you're doing the pastor or God a favor. The pastor is actually doing you a favor by letting you help him by serving in his church. You're not doing me any favors because if you don't do it right, I got seven other folks that will. Helps benefits you. Yes, it does the kingdom work, but you got to realize, and we, I learned this years ago from Pastor Vaughn. Pastor Vaughn used to say, we love you and we can use you, but we don't need you. And you say that when people get a prideful attitude. Well, if I leave, this place will fall apart. Well, sweetie, we love you and, and we can use you, but we don't need you. You, you, you go away, seven more pop up in your place who are probably more faithful and humble than you. That keeps us all humble. I, the Lord loves me, Pastor Chris. The Lord can use me, Pastor Chris, but the Lord don't need me. If I do something dumb, I've, I've, from the day I took office eight years ago, I felt like nothing but the slide, the next slide in the slide projector. Pastor Vaughn went home, click, click. <coughs> Pastor Chris gets put up. Oh, this really isn't me at all. This is just my slide and God shines through me. And if I do anything stupid, here's the Lord going, yep, I still got a clicker. Dare me, boy. Yes, Lord, I'll do whatever you want. Just don't click me home. <laughs> the pastor is actually doing you a favor by letting you help him by serving in his church. Because... We have a reputation in the community. We have a name. I have a name. And I have to defend that. I have to protect that. So I'm not so desperate that you have a pulse. I'm going to use you. And we joke about the, the, the T-shirts that we have that say engrafted word. I said, really, don't wear those and be an idiot in town. We already have a reputation that I still defend the thing that we handle snakes. In fact, there was a Baptist guy I was talking to and I was explaining to him, and his son is a good friend of mine. He's like, yeah, yeah, they're, they're a cult, Dad. I said, no, we don't handle snakes, scorpions. <laughs> and the Baptist guy was, I said, I'm just playing. 
a little. They used to tell years ago that we had chicken livers we ate in service and that our baptismal over here is where they kept the chicken livers. All just all sorts of ignorance because it was the, one of the first spirit-filled churches to come into town and it was non-denominational in the midst of a religious region that worships the denomination. So you got to come up with something to run the church down. So they handle snakes and they eat chicken livers. Well, back in those days, the funny thing is Pastor Vaughn was terrified of snakes. He couldn't even watch them on television. He'd pick his feet up. And who in, who in their right mind eats chicken livers? I won't even do that for Jesus. I'll fast, Lord. Call me to a fast. I feel like fasting. So anyway, we have a, a reputation to maintain. Helps is not the place to do a mediocre job. I can't stand mediocrity. This region is baptized in mediocrity. You, you drive through this region from Nashville to Knoxville, your car starts falling apart. And you just bought it yesterday. It just washes through this plasma field of mediocrity and laziness. And your car says, I quit. Please, no, we're going up the plateau. We're heading to Knoxville. Oh, if you ask nicely, maybe I'll carry you to the crossville. <laughs> yeah. Helps is not the place to do a mediocre job. If a paycheck would motivate you to do a better job for the kingdom, you're a hireling. You're a hireling. If more money would get better work out of you, you're a hireling. I remember, even the world doesn't operate on this principle. I remember when my Muslim boss promoted me, he said, I'm promoting you, and then we'll see if you're worth the money. I had to earn the paycheck later. He could see I had maxed out where he had me, so he was bumping me up. And rather than go ahead and approve a big raise for me, he was going to see, could I fulfill that next level? And once I proved that I would do it for the same amount of money, I earned the money. So many folks, they want to be paid to serve God. It don't happen. I didn't take a paycheck the first year we pastored. Now, now the last four or five months, we finally started taking some income. It wasn't, it wasn't a salary. It was, you know, a kind of a subsidy because it was only proper that the pastor get something. And actually, it was Pastor Jerry Closter that chewed my tail on that and said, it's not right if you don't take money from the church. Paul said, where are you? He told the Corinthians, where are you least in all the churches except that I didn't take anything from you? I wasn't a burden to you. Therefore, forgive me this wrong. He had, he had, made, he had hurt the Corinthian church by not receiving offerings from them. So after Marlon and some others chewed me out, then we had lunch with Pastor Jerry, Miss Patty, and Pastor Jerry. Actually, I don't think you were there. Uh, Marlon was there, myself. I don't remember. That restaurant that's not there in Midland. Pastor Jerry chewed me out. He said, you got to take money. It's only proper that the minister live by the altar. All right. But for the most part, that first year, we didn't take an offering or, or a paycheck because I don't serve God for money. I do a good job because it's what you do. It's God. Why would you give God your mediocrity? Amen. Don't give God anything unless you give yourself. And if what you give yourself is mediocre, repent and get a better standard. Helping the local church. God has set helps in the church quite simply because the church needs help. That's pretty easy. We need help carrying out the vision. Every local church has a unique calling and personality. Pastor Luke and Miss John are here tonight, uh, this morning. Their, their church has a different personality, a different flavor, but they need help. We have a different flavor. We need help. It doesn't matter the flavor, the calling, the denomination, the name. Every church has a vision, and the vision's always bigger than the visionary. Each church needs help in carrying out the mission and the calling God has placed on that local body. That's why the, he has set in the church helps. You see this beginning with Moses. God puts this tremendous vision on Moses, and Moses needs help. 
Then he puts a tremendous vision on Samuel and Samuel needs help. Then David and David needs mighty men of valor. He, he does this. He puts a vision in one man and then he begins to surround that man with helpers to fulfill the vision. And as we'll see in the next lesson, when you get plugged into the ministry of helps, it trains you for the promotion God has for you. Very, very rarely do you ever find anybody that just wakes up and goes into ministry. I, I think there are exceptions, perhaps, uh, but even Moses had to spend 40 years serving his father-in-law, Jethro. For 40 years, he took care of another man's sheep, and he learned how to be a shepherd. Elisha spent 15 or so years taking care of Elijah. David spent 15 years taking care of Saul after he spent 10 years taking care of his dad's sheep. You don't ever just get to just, I'm here, use me. Qualify. Can you be faithful? There's nothing worse than putting somebody in a position of leadership and they don't show up. And some folks have the reputation, you're just unfaithful. Now, the Greek is even more brutal because for the Greek to call you faith, unfaithful, it says you're faithless. Because it takes faith to be faithful. So the Greek says pistis, faith, or apistis, no faith, which is translated unfaithful, which is a nice, polite way of saying you're a no-show. But biblically, you're faithless. It takes faith to come to church. It takes faith to show up on time. It takes faith to believe God for the gas. It takes faith to go to bed early and get up early. So when you're not faithful, the Greek says you're faithless. How will you do anything for God when you're faithless? You're apistis. All hands on deck. The pastor of a church can be likened to the captain of a ship. The pastor or the captain sets the course. He steers the ship. He calls the directions. He determines the port of call and even the type of mission. Are we taking people? Are we taking molasses? Are we taking, I don't know, earthenware? But he requires the help of a crew to get the ship up and running. We've all seen that in the movies. You got one captain, and the ship is known by her captain, and the captain is known by her ship, and maybe the first mate, and everybody else is just a nameless crew member. That's the kingdom. Tell me the name of Billy Graham's right-hand guy. Give me the name of Franklin Graham's right-hand guy. How many folks does Billy Graham Ministries employ? Or Samaritan's Purse? thousands upon thousands. But who, what's the name we know? Reverend Billy Graham. Reverend Billy Graham, this, was, this is about 10 years old now, but he, uh, he had an inner circle of, of a, like 20 or 25 advisors that had been with him for a long time. They had been faithful. The newest guy, the newbie on that board of advisors and ministry had been with him 19 years. That was the newest guy. Faithful. And his name, even if I told you, you wouldn't know it. Jeff, was it you that ran into the guy locally that had worked Billy Graham Crusades on evangelism? Somebody here in the church in the last year or two out evangelizing, we, we ran into an older man who had spent years traveling with Billy Graham, helping with crusades. And we were just, I didn't even get to meet the guy. I was honored that our evangelism team got to run into the guy that helped Billy Graham with crusades for years and years and years, that he even lived in our community. We were honored at that faithfulness. Don't even know his name. Don't even know where he lives. Just know he's in the region. I'm still proud that we have somebody in our region that spent years traveling, helping Billy Graham set up crusades. Might have been nothing but just the electrical guy. 
Might have been nothing but the chair guy. He just said, I helped Billy Graham with his crusades for 20 years. I need you to pray for me. <laughs> that kind of faithfulness, that kind of experience, to be around that kind of anointing in the ministry of helps. Not even your anointing, it's Billy Graham. But you being around that, being a helper in the Billy Graham Crusades, puts something on you you don't get by skipping church. Every time you skip church, you rob yourself of another deposit. How many deposits are you behind? And how many does it take to see the plan of God for your life? I tell you, it's not a day to be faithless. Three types of helps. I take this from Dr. Barclay. Doing those things that your pastor does not have the ability to do. Doesn't mean we can't learn it. It just means we don't have time to learn it. I don't lead worship. I don't have the ability to. That's ministry of helps. I don't know the computer and the sound stuff like Steve and Michael do. That's ministry of helps. Now that stuff is not something I can't learn, but I don't have time to learn it. So the first type of ministry helps is doing those things I can't do. I, as much as I write, I send it to either Miss Eva or Miss Katie because they, they have an eye for editing. And they edit my curriculum, they edit my vocabulary, they edit my punctuation because it's a needful help. There's all sorts of things we need help doing. Second type is doing those things that your pastor can do but shouldn't be doing because there are other things he needs to do. Tuesday, I spent all day helping the guys lay sewer line, supervising it. And I thought, well, I did have a busy day scheduled, a lot of stuff I needed to accomplish, but I guess making sure the ladies can flush their poo-poo down the toilet is pretty critical to the kingdom too. So either way it builds the kingdom, pick up that doo-doo pipe. I don't want to rebury that thing. Actually, I picked up a lot of the doo-doo pipe myself, going, taking up the old sewer line so it didn't get reburied in our new trench. And I thought, feeling with my fingers, is that mud? <laughs> Let's just say yes. Let's say yes. I feel good about that. Yes. Yes, that's mud. All right, we got muddy hands. Might as well pick up the next one. Just part of it. Now, I, I'm not above doing that. I actually enjoyed it. And I got to meet a lot of guys and I actually talked with some guys and, and witnessed a little bit with some of the contra uh, contractors. And that was fun too. But, you know, on, if I had to do that every day, I'd quit. Not because, because I'm not doing ministry. Because the, the church is going to suffer because I, I'm not supposed to do that kind of stuff every day. So I don't mind doing it every once in a while. And we, you know, we spent nine months building the kids wing. I was up here doing that every day. And God just floated the services for nine months because I really wasn't in the word. Because you do everything you do. You don't get time to pastor. You just build. But you can't do that every day. Things will suffer. But there's those things that your pastor can do but shouldn't be doing because there are other things he needs to do. You know, when you come to church, you want your pastor to be full of the Holy Ghost, full of the word. You want him prayed up. This is one of the reasons why, like even before services, you know, just don't come to me with arbitrary stuff. I've got my mind on service. And just because you're too lazy to make an appointment to meet with me or show up and hit a service that your answer was preached at doesn't mean I got time to give you when I've been preparing for this service. That just, that's just selfish. It's weird. It, just because you don't do the word doesn't mean I should stop. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Third thing is doing things that your pastor is doing, but he wants you to do them with him. Tomorrow I go preach for Pastor G's church down in Sparta and uh, taking a couple of the guys with me just to go with, just to help, just to see what they can do to help that church and help me and, yeah, go with. Help me move this doo-doo pipe. Help me build a kid's wing. Help me make a video. There, there's, these are the three arenas. There's nothing else. There's only these three. Things I can't do, things I can do but I shouldn't be doing. Uh, and then things I need your help doing while I'm doing them. Help me pray for these people. Help me lay hands on this. Let's go fix this guy's car. 
Let's go with me to go witness to this person. And workers together, working with grace. 2 Corinthians 6, 1. This is just an introduction to the ministry of helps. We then as workers together with God. Now, I want you to see, I've underlined it on purpose. We work with God. This is more than semantics. We don't work for God. We work with God. We are co-laborers together with Him. You can work for somebody and never know them. You could technically work for Apple and work for Steve Jobs, though he's dead now. You can work for Steve Jobs and be able to say, I work for Steve Jobs. Doesn't mean you know him or he knows you. Now, you know him, but if he were to bump into you in the hallway, he'd say, get out of my face. I never knew you. Which is what Jesus is going to say to a lot of people on Judgment Day. We did all this great stuff for you, Lord. I never knew you. So we don't work for God. We work with him. Because when you work with him, you get his hand on you. You get his input on you. You get his wisdom on you. And when you work with people, they become like family. You know about their kids. You know about their hobbies. You know about their struggles. They'll open up to tell you their marriage problems. They'll tell you their health problems. Sometimes it's too much information when you work with them. But you can work for somebody and never know anything about them. We are workers together with God, not for him, with him. As a consequence, we receive his grace to work. If we are not workers in this kingdom, then we have received his grace in vain. The verse goes on to say, we beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. Notice that means there's a grace of God upon every one of us to work. And if we're not working, that we've received that grace in vain. It's a waste of God's grace. 1 Corinthians 15, 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Now, now what that is, he said, I am the least of all the apostles as one born out of season. He said, but I am what I am. That's what God made me to be. So he lists all 12 apostles and the other, there's 27 apostles listed in the New Testament. So 12, Paul has 26. So the other 14, he's including the 12 and the other 14. Out of the, all the apostles, he says, I'm the least. Paul said, I'm the least of all the apostles, but I am what I am by the grace of God. Now he wasn't being falsely humble. This is inspired by the spirit of God. So we have to take that at face value. Paul was truly by ordination, by his calling, the least of all the apostles. Otherwise, he's lying here. But I believe he is what he said he is. He said, and his grace which was, was, was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. That's a reference to all the apostles. So little o him, the runt of the litter, because of grace, outworked John, Peter, James, Jude, Bartholomew, Thaddeus, James the Less, Andrew, he outworked them all just with the little measure he was given, which also indicts all of them. I mean, this is a slap. This is, I bet John the Revelator got that epistle. So let me see what Paul's writing. What? What? Oh, I'm the apostle of love. I got to love. Man, he's right though. He works us to shame. That's grace. So think about it. If, Jay, if, 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 if Paul was the least, but he outworked all of them, probably all of them combined, what are you doing with your grace? Skipping church? Because it's too far to drive? Because you're up too late? Because you watch the movies? Because you got a ball game to go to? That's vain. Vanity. But I labored more abundantly than they are, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Notice that grace on you wants to do something. 
And when you don't do something with it, it's what Paul says in Galatians 2, I frustrate the grace of God. Your life's miserable because you frustrate the grace of God. Helps gives you an avenue to grow and, and to, to use this grace. It's almost like, pardon the, just the natural example, it's almost like grace upon you is like an exoskeleton, like Iron Man. What fun is having an Iron Man suit if you can't go do something with it? I mean, if I had an Iron Man suit, I'd run through walls. I'd pick up cars and just chuck them, just because you can. Some folks would rather just collect the Iron Man suit and just show it off and let it collect dust, and I'm too tired. Well, get in your Iron Man suit. It does all the work. Get in your grace suit. It does all the work. You just, you just have to begin, and it does the rest. I mean, come on. You just, you just I'm thinking, I'm sure, I don't know. I've seen all the movies. You know, I think he just thinks, and it does it. Yeah, but unless you ever step into it, you never know. It's really quite shameful. The Lord's invested so much in so many people and they give him very little on his return. God places a supernatural grace upon every Christian to labor with him in the gospel work. It's a supernatural grace because helps is a supernatural office. The ministry of helps is the best place to start laboring with Jesus in his great kingdom. Jesus said we are to take his yoke upon us. Yeah, for his yoke is easy and his burden is light. That's such a huggy verse until you stop and realize, wait a minute, a yoke is for work. It's what you put on a beast of burden to plow a field for 15 hours. Oh, take my yoke upon you. That just makes me feel so comforted, Lord. Uh, hey, wake up. Do you realize what he's talking about here? Let me show you what a yoke looks like. We all see him, we see him hanging in Cracker Barrel. All right? It's slavery. And once it goes on your neck, you don't go play volleyball. The Lord says, mush, pull, Time to plow the gospel field. He said, take my yoke upon you. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light, but a yoke is for work. Matthew eleven twenty eight and 30. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, this is such a verbal contradiction. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. If you're agricultural minded, you know that don't mean rest. That means more work. And learn of me. Learn how to do proper work. Learn how to do work that doesn't exhaust you. From I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. The rest is for your soul. It's not for your physical body. America is full of lazy people. They want another nap for their flesh. Jesus promised a nap for your soul, not your flesh. You got to work. But notice this. Take my yoke and learn of me. There are certain things you'll only learn by serving in the ministry of helps. You won't get them any other way. You won't get them through teaching. You won't get them through the laying on of hands. You won't get them through divine revelation. You're not going to get them through a visitation. You're not going to get them through a, a trip to heaven and back. You can only learn certain of these things by taking his yoke upon you and learning. How much experience? I mean, how much do you learn through experience? Some things you just got to get out there and just do. I, I remember uh, years ago, stopping in at a gas station, my favorite gas station by my house in Knoxville, and I was getting, I used to get these uh, frosty cappuccino things that were like a, it's like a Slurpee, but caffeinated and coffee flavored. And there was this guy that always worked there. He was like a lifelong uh, employee of, of Weigel's there. And I get up next in line, and he decides to start talking to me about volcanology, which is the science of volcanoes. And i like, seriously? You want to talk to me about volcanoes? And you can tell he totally just watched the Discovery Show special on it. And he just won't stop talking. I'm like, just ring up 
my cappuccino or whatever, the caffe, slurpy, slurpafino, or just ring it up. And he's wanting to tell me all this stuff. I'm like, I, you know, you don't want to say, dude, I went to college for all this. I just came from a job site. I just inspected drilled shafts. I just looked at rock. Total theoretical guy. And that's where I came up with the term sofa scientist. Because that's all this guy was, was a sofa scientist. <laughs> so many Christians, just sofa saints. Sofa saints. Because they won't get involved in the ministry of helps. So they have no experience. So they don't know how the theory is applied. They don't know how the doctrine is applied. And because of that, they have all the opinions, but none of the fruit. And they want to tell the pastor how to run the show, but you forget, I'm the one that lives a thing 24-7 with the burden of the whole ministry on my shoulders and everybody's family also. So when I love it when people complain in the parking lot. They have those tow your, sign, tow your car signs. That's not very Christian. Honey, don't talk to me about what is Christian and what is not. You don't qualify. You're a sofa saint at best. I hope you make heaven. Take his yoke upon you and you'll learn things. Helps ministry ought to excite us because we get to apply what we've been taught and you'll learn things from Jesus I could never teach you from the pulpit. That you couldn't learn from the word. Because if it was designed just to get it from the word, he wouldn't tell you to do anything. Just stay and study. Be a monk. Just stay at home like a monk and watch your Christian television. Areas of helps in the local church and then we'll take a break. Manual work. That's what most people think when they think of helps is all the manual work, but it's not limited to that. Cleaning, ushering, security, children's ministry, evangelism, hospitality. That, that is the day-to-day -day running of the ministry, and that's great and needful, and we all do that around here. But money and resources, that also helps. Tithes and offerings, excuse me, is helps. There was a tabernacle offering. That was a help. Elisha's chamber built onto the house of the Shunammite woman. That was a help. Jesus' cult that he rode into Jerusalem on, that was a help. That's transportation. Loaning somebody your car. We, the Scudders gave us their van when they went to Africa. We call it the Scudder van. We use it all the time for ministry. We use it to pick up uh, missionaries. We use it we, as a loaner car to folks. We maintain it. We put a lot of money into it to keep it up. Alan takes care of it. Even Alan taking care of the car so that we have a Jesus cult so people can drive is a ministry of helps. Uh, you had Sister Phoebe's business. We don't know what it was, but she was on business in Rome. And they said, you make sure she's taken care of. She was providing some kind of resource to the saints at Rome. Then you have uh, uh, ministering to the saints or ministry offerings. Sometimes you take an offering, you don't give it to goodwill. You give it to a church in need. You give it to a missionary in need. You call an emergency offering and you send it to this church or this missionary outpost or, or somebody preaching the gospel. I don't give a dime. I should take that back. I have supported police things around here i even bought a brick for the playground it was like 50 bucks like ah, give me a brick with my church name on it why not i go out there and take a picture of it we'll throw it up look we bought a brick yay us hopefully it wins somebody jesus probably won't bricks don't win anybody obedient saints do so i won't say i never put a dime into secular humanistic goodwill causes but probably one tenth of one thousandth of one percent because it doesn't preach the word. Prayer, Lord, we need that. That helps. If you can do nothing else, you better commit to pray for the church, pray for the ministry, pray for me and my wife, what we do. Pray, 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 pray. Pray the word has free course when he preached. Paul was in a habit of requesting prayer from his churches. He asked for prayer way more than he ever asked for money. Pray for all those that are in authority. Defense and aid. Sometimes the ministry helps is just standing up for one another. It's seeing somebody having a bad day and you go across the sanctuary and say, you okay? I'm praying for you. 
You got to be careful with that, though, that you don't start pastoring people or get into their business. One of the things I've also learned as a pastor, you've got to be discerning. Are they heavy and downcast because they're under sinful conviction? In which case, you could be aiding and abetting a sinner and talking them out of the work of God. Or are they downcast because they're being beat up by the enemy? There's times when the Holy Ghost moves on people in a prayer line and they start sobbing and, and an emotional Christian wants to hug them. I don't do hugging at the pulpit altar. You might short circuit the work of the Holy Ghost. Hugging is a strictly a Western thing. It's, it's what our culture teaches us to do when we see a tear. Those tears might be tears not to be repented of. Don't hug them away. Sometimes it's best just to leave people alone, let God sort it out instead of being an American. Amen. Now, if the minister says, come here and minister to them, that doesn't mean hug them. It means lay hands on them, pray for them. And then maybe there's, there's room. You got to judge it by the spirit of God. Is there time for compassion? But we some, again, as Ameri I've been in enough churches. Somebody cries, we got to hug. What if they're crying because they're about to go commit suicide? You want to, you don't hug that. You cast that out. There's more tools in our repertoire than just hugging. Unless you're just a one trick pony. Provoke one another to good works. There's provocation that goes on in the kingdom. That helps too. Edify one another. Man, you can make it. Bless God. Don't give up. Receive one another, especially spiritually weak Christians. Pray that God will help you be the best helper the kingdom of God has ever seen. Amen. Father, I thank you for this first lesson. Bless these folks. May we retain all this. May it spur in us a heart for the ministry of helps. May we get plugged into what you're doing. May we see the promotion of God come upon us. In Jesus' name, amen.